everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. My name is Amos. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time, you might be wondering, why in the world would they show a video for a different church? Don't they want us to come to this church? Well, here's the deal. The Vineyard is part of a church planting movement, which means that part of our identity, part of our DNA is that we want to multiply. We want to pursue people much like a Christian just described where we don't exist just for the people inside, but for the world outside. In fact, we had about 10 people sign up to join our team last week in that membership orientation. At the end, I said, I believe that we're all called to something bigger than ourselves. And even though you're just coming in, keep in mind that God might be calling you to leave sometime in the not-so-distant future to do what we're doing here somewhere closer to your neighborhood. It might be five miles from this location. It might be 500 miles from this location, maybe 5,000 miles from this location. So being a church and being a people that pursues everybody in this world is part of who we are. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, who's a pretty famous pastor, put it in very sharp terms. He said, every Christian is a missionary or else an imposter. And you might say the same thing about any church. Any church that is not pursuing people outside of it is not a church. It's an imposter. It's a social club at best. And at worst, it can become ingrown and irrelevant and prideful and egotistical and self-righteous and all these things that none of us want to be. But I want to unpack that statement by Charles Spurgeon just a bit more before we move on. Because we hear that word missionary, and sometimes we have something very specific in our mind, but I think at its root, it simply means that we are people called to live a life with a purpose bigger than ourselves. And for people who are following Jesus, one of our great purposes is to show Jesus' love to the world. And so it's not to be a missionary, it's not to get on a plane and fly across the world and speak to people who don't speak your language, necessarily. It could be that. But more than that, it's to cross the street, cross your room at work, and be Jesus to people right here, right now. That's part of our purpose. That it's part of why we're here. And that ties in actually really well to our series that we have been walking through called Messy. Because while we've been looking at the letter called 1 Corinthians that's written to a church in the first century, we've noticed that while it's one of the most exciting places you could have been in that century, it's also one of the messiest. And one of the reasons that a church can get messy is that you have people coming in who have all sorts of different backgrounds. It's one of the great things about the vineyard. Almost nobody in this church, minus maybe a few, were born into this church. You are coming from a Catholic background, from a Baptist background, from a different religion, from a different 
culture, from a different experience. And here we are trying to do life together. And that means we have clashes of values, clashes of cultures, clashes of experiences. So things can get very, very messy. And if you were here last week, I had this picture of this glacier. Remember when I said a lot of times when you're in conflict or when you're trying to speak to people and it doesn't go well, the thing isn't the thing. It's the thing underneath the thing. And sometimes it's the thing underneath the thing underneath the thing. So if you are, say, fighting with someone, whether it be your spouse or your neighbor or someone about politics, there's the issue, but that's just the surface. Below the surface, there are experiences and assumptions and values that are sometimes unspoken, but what they become what caused the rift, what caused the division, what caused the misunderstanding. But below that, if you have an identity that is not secure, if you have a heart that is seeking after, say, acceptance or love that you don't feel like you get, that you deserve, that can trickle up and explode and make things messy and mean. Is this coming back to mind? So it's good to keep this picture, I think, in mind whenever we're entering into relationships with people who, say, aren't like us, who disagree with us, or people we're married to and like to fight with. Okay? So this diagram is not the same. There's no uh, diagram in the back of your Bibles that looks like this. This is just kind of my way of trying to say this is, I think, what was going on in some of the conflicts that we've read about so far. But I think we'll also see it in the passage we're going to read today in 1 Corinthians. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be in the NIV today. Last week we used the message because I didn't want to spend a bunch of time trying to translate the English and what that meant. But if you uh, want to track along in your Bibles, we'll be spending most of our time in this passage. Of course, you can look it up on your phone as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Remember, this is being written to a church with real issues that's messy in a culture that didn't necessarily ascribe to the same values or identity statements that the church did. So Paul says to them, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That's kind of a mind-blowing statement. Though I am free, I have made myself a slave to win as many as possible. So what he's saying is I have my rights, but I have decided to limit my rights to actually step back from what I could do to do this thing when as many as possible. And this word here uh, isn't maybe the best translation of the original Greek. The word win is probably better meant to gain or to benefit. So I don't want you to think when Paul uses this word win that it's like we're out there and we're thinking of people as projects and if they come to church someday, then we've won and we've achieved something great. And if they don't come to church someday, then we're not going to be their friends and we're not going to love them. Okay, that's not what... Paul has in mind here. What he's saying is, is that we're looking to add people to the family, but it's to this great benefit where we've experienced like love and grace and peace and joy from God that we want to share with people, and it's up to them whether they respond or not. And we're going to show that 
grace and peace and love, regardless of whether they respond, okay? So lock that in. Uh, and remember, as people on mission, that's part of it. And I didn't mention this before, but missionaries are known for, right, bringing the message of Jesus to people, but you know what else they're known for? Advocating for justice, education, equality. They were the ones who built schools, who cared for people's physical needs and built hospitals, who in the Middle Ages, when everybody was evacuating the cities because of the Black Plague, Christians were running into the cities. So when we say gain or benefit, we mean something incredibly radical, not just spiritual, but physical, providing people what they need. So, back in to verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. We'll get to what that all means. <laughs> to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. That makes a little more sense to us, right? I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So what Paul is talking about there first has something to do with an issue 2,000 years ago, but then he summarizes what he means in that last statement. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. And I strike out that last part because, again, this wasn't originally written in English, and so they did something to make it make a little more sense to us. But there's actually, in the Greek, not that word blessing. There's simply the word to partner it. So partner it doesn't make good English. But I want to just put that up there and bookmark it, and we'll come back to it later. But let's look at the glacier thing a little bit here again. So just to translate, again, to look at the issues, the experiences, assumptions, values, hard issues, matters of identity. Now let's go to the next slide. There's some statements here that Paul is making that I think fit pretty well into that glacier picture. So there's an issue here. He's talking about being under the law or not under the law, right? But then there's some values and experiences that he's saying, I am actually going to give up my own background and try to enter in to these other people's experience, to try to understand, to suspend my deeply held opinions so that I might enter in and dialogue about theirs. But that actually comes from something more foundational than that, and that is an identity that he has. At the very beginning, he says, I am free, and this is a freedom that he's experienced because of his life with Jesus, and that I am, remember, a partner to the gospel. He's saying, this is who I am, so I have a foundation, I am secure, so that I can kind of put my experiences on pause, enter into other people's, and I'm not going to let the issue here, which is the Old Testament law, get in the way of my relating to you. See how this might be practical? Let me explain just briefly the Old Testament uh, issue here. So one of the big debates for the early church was Jesus was a Jew, and most of his early followers or subscribers were also Jews. Do people who are not Jews 
have to act like Jews? Do they have to abide by all of the Jewish religious festivals and feasts and practices and circumcision, if you know what that is? Do they have to wear the yarmulkes? And Paul is basically saying, I am free from that, and you are free from that. You don't have to, but when I talk to Jews, Paul says, so that I am credible, I'm going to wear the yarmulke. I'm going to, because he felt called to relate to Jewish people, I'm going to observe the festivals so that I don't offend them in the message that I have that I believe is to their great benefit. Now, to the Jews, he became a Jew. To the Gentiles, he what acted as one not under the law. So he's not wearing his yarmulke around when he's talking to Gentile people. Does this make him wishy-washy? No. In fact, just the opposite. He's so grounded in his freedom and in his identity as a partner to the gospel, as a partner to the gospel means good news about Jesus, that he is loved and valued and accepted based on Jesus' love for him, that he doesn't feel the need to wear the yarmulke or practice those Jewish laws. How many of us have a hard time suspending our political opinions, our values and experience so that we might enter into somebody else's world? This can be very, very tough, but Paul is saying, for the sake of the gospel, I am what? All things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. So, let's talk about football. And I uh, didn't tell you to bring tomatoes. But this is an issue, and I sure hope the church can talk about the issues that everybody else is talking about and thinking about. Am I right? So, today I'm not going to tell you how to think or what side of the issue you should be on. I would encourage you to seek what you can as well as you can, what the Bible says and what God's heart might be on this. But what I'm going to propose is that we should behave in a certain way to people who don't have the same opinions, values, experiences as we do. And that we might ground our identity in something other than whether or not you think it's a good idea for NFL players to kneel or not. So, on both sides of this issue, right, we know what the issue is, but people who think that it's wonderful that NFL players are kneeling, just imagine what their values and experiences and assumptions are. Try to get to the other side. Imagine that if you think it's offensive what they're doing, what it might be to be looking at the other side of that. Okay? I'm not going to fill in those gaps, but what I don't see a lot of on Facebook or in conversations about this is listening. What if you came to this issue with a deep-rooted identity? What if you came to this issue as a follower of Jesus? How might your attitudes change? How might your tone change? How might the amount of talking you do change compared to the amount of listening 
you do? What if you were to approach this issue, as Paul says at the beginning of this, for the sake of the gospel? How does the conversation change for you? How do your feelings about the issue change for you? I want to read a quote from uh, Ken Bailey that respects the, or in respect to that, uh, that word partner that shows up in the Greek text, but it's not in your English translation. Uh, this guy did a lot of cultural work, a lot of cross-cultural work in the Middle East, so he brings some interesting perspective. But he says here that Paul does not argue that he must become all things to all people so that the gospel can receive a hearing and be accepted. For him, God, through the gospel, was already at work across cultural lines, and he wanted to become its partner. The gospel train was moving, and he could jump on it or get left behind. This wonderful language describes a gospel out of control that has its own energy and is on the move. No one can chain it down. Let me tell you what he means. What Ken Bailey here is saying is he's saying, when you go into another culture, as he did, you'll find this amazing thing that people's hearts are already hungry for what we've experienced with and through our relationship with God. When you go into a culture, you will find things that they value, things that they're passionate about, things that deep down they crave that actually match up with what we've discovered in Jesus. And I found this true not just across culturals in the generic sense, but with people in the very specific sense. Everybody I talk to at the very depth of their being will say, I have a passion for justice and I want to feed the poor. And you know what? That's part of the gospel. You can look at that person and say, Jesus had that same passion to bring justice to people. Almost everybody I talk to outside the church, they'll say, I don't, if they don't go to church, I don't go to church because I don't like what the church stands for. Okay, okay, what do you mean? What, what In your mind, what does the church stand for? Well, they, they think they want to be exclusive and judge everybody else. And I was like, man, you know who had the same beef with the church as you do? Jesus does. His harshest words were for the religious people who thought they were better than everybody else because they went to synagogue or to church. The gospel, what Paul is saying here, is already at work in people's lives. In everybody's experience across every culture, the gospel is like a seed. And so what Paul is saying is, I am going to partner with the gospel. So let's go back to football. On one side of the issue, you have a group of people that if you like ignore everyone who's calling everyone else names and stuff. Like there's a group of people who have a set of values where they they like have honor and not just honor but they honor sacrifice of the military and want that to be respected. And oh man, are those things that encompass the gospel? Is there potential in that to say, wow, I have those same values? If you're not seeing this for the sake of the gospel, if you're not on board with the Jesus train, it's okay. But just like, can, you, can anybody in this room not get behind that set of values? 
Like if you stop listening to the name calling and set your own experience aside and show some empathy and actually hear what's at the heart. This, I think this Jesus stuff is really, really practical. This is going to help us navigate the world today. Like, Jesus loves these things. Honor for sacrifice, that's like the whole story. It's the story of Jesus sacrificing his very life so that we might have life. And the story of every Christian, of every person who has decided to follow Jesus, of them laying down their lives to serve other people, even if it means, we don't face this in our country, but even if it means that they would die for the name of Jesus. To honor sacrifice, this is something that we can partner with. This is something that we can celebrate and call out. On the other side of the issue, again, if you're listening, it all started with this guy, Colin Kaepernick. I'm a 49ers fan, so I'm a little biased in the issue. But uh, like, I was listening to what he was saying, and he was a backup at the time. So anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But he did it because of police brutality toward like minorities. So like to defend the vulnerable, like whether you agree with what. NFL players are doing during the national anthem or not. Can you see that defending the vulnerable is actually right on the money? Like, if that's what they're after, we want the same thing. One side or the other side, like, what if we put our energy toward defending the vulnerable instead of arguing about whether or not people kneel during the national anthem? Protest of injustice, freedom of speech. Like, these are the things that Jesus promoted, and these are the things that Christians died for down across the ages. What if when we entered into these controversial conversations, we did it for the sake of the gospel? What if we didn't put our identity in a political party or on one side of the issue or the other side of the issue? What if we put our identity in our freedom that came from Jesus? death, and resurrection. I'm going to keep reading here out of uh, 1 Corinthians because there's a relatively famous passage that follows up, and usually people don't see that the two go together, but they do. But if you feel like you got your money's worth already today, it's, you can, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hope this is helpful. Is it helpful? Yes. Is it relevant? Yes. <laughs> Does Jesus make all the difference in the world? I think so. So, uh, Paul says, To the weak I have become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we, do it to, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Paul gives a metaphor here that is rooted in 
they had something like the Olympics in Corinth. It was like the second most important athletic game. So like people understood the sports metaphors, kind of like we understand the sports metaphors. And I know uh, that there are people in here who play sports and play basketball, but it really applies to anything you want to be good at. There is training involved, and there is competition involved. And what Paul is saying here, I think, is if all you do is compete and never train, you're going to be in big, big trouble because you're going to be like a boxer beating the air. You're, you know, you're going to run out onto the field and just kind of do circles. You know, like if, if it was your first time playing and you had a bunch of third graders and you said go play soccer and you didn't tell them the rules, like what would happen? But if you only train and don't compete, you've got another problem because the training is like pointless. Like there's got to be a point to the training, even if it's physical strength or health, right? There must be a point to the training. And uh, I experienced this uh, because I coached bas basketball. Some of you know this. I coached basketball for like 10 years through high school and college and, and a little bit of my master's program. And uh, they're all, I think, sixth or seventh graders. I don't really, really remember now. But I love coaching basketball because I love making kids run sprints, <laughs> believe it or not. And uh, I always like to have more practices uh, than less practices before our first game. But there was always a point where if you had too many practices, the kids started to lose focus. If you had too many practices between games, they started to lose focus. In fact, you can't really go more than one practice without at least having a scrimmage. But if you don't have a game, if you don't go out onto the field, onto the court, onto whatever it is uh, before too long, it just becomes like boring and, and whatever because you need to get into the game to actually know where you're at and what you need to work on. So as much as I love rebounding drills and as much as I loved conditioning, they wouldn't know until that first game and either realize, oh man, we have work to do or our hard work has paid off. We just dominated this other team, right? So you need to train and get into the game. And training, by the way, isn't always the most fun thing. Training, and he talks about this here, involves what? Like, like discipline, like suffering, like restraint. So if you're an athlete, you might not drink Mountain Dew every day. I remember uh, I grew up drinking like a thing of, we call it pop. You call it soda here? Soda. A can of soda every single night and an ice cream bar from like kindergarten through, well, my junior year in high school. And when I joined the basketball team, I gave it up, right? So it involved restraint. I'm actually, Paul says here, I'm going to restrain my freedom. There are things I'm not going to do because I have this other focus in mind. There are things I am going to do because I have this focus in mind, right? Okay, you're getting it, I hope. When we apply this to our lives as we try to exist, I think that we certainly have the outward, like, game, the outward expression. There's... there's sharing the life with Jesus that we have with people, and that can be very difficult. That can be taxing, but the, the training I think we need is not to be trained in the issues. Some people think that before I talk to anybody about my faith, before I show integrity and 
talk to people about what really matters to me. I need to have all the answers to all the questions they might possibly have. But I don't think that's the training that Paul has in mind. I think he's actually talking about the training of the heart. Like, what if what we're really talking about when we talk about preparation has to do with the inner life? So that no matter how chaotic and how scary the outside world might get, no matter how horrible the outcomes might be, that we've spent some time rooting our identity in something that cannot change, rooting our value into something that cannot change. So when it comes to the inner life, what does that mean? What does that look like? Have you pushed pause on your schedule? Have you spent any time at all asking yourself the big questions, like, what do I really live for? Have you spent time in the presence of God, maybe reflecting or meditating on Scripture? Have you done anything to train the inner life? Because if you don't have the inner life set, if you haven't spent any time on the inner life, the outer life, the game, uh, life as we know it will wear you out and tear you down, and you're going to lose like 10 to 0, kind of like last week when we played kickball, where the, uh, the youth played the parents, and it was 10 to 0. So avoid that at all costs. I had to call the game. It was so ugly. <laughs> anyway. Um, so train, I appeal to you. Train your identity. Don't wait until you think you have all the answers, you don't have all the answers, before you start to talk to people about what's most important. I'm going to sort of end here with one of my favorite quotes. You'll probably hear it again if you keep coming back uh, before too long. But Teddy Roosevelt said this in one of his famous speeches called Daring Greatly. He says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man, this is archaic, or woman, who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Teddy Roosevelt is saying here is, come into the arena. If, if you're not in the game, it's very easy to become critical, to become cold, what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus sends his disciples out. To be a follower of Jesus means that you get sent out. But they didn't have all the answers. They would do these great, amazing things, and then they screw up so bad. We know that because they'd come back to Jesus and say, we can't do it, we don't know how. Help us, right? And when you're, when you're entering into the life of people who you don't agree with, when you're entering into the life of the poor, the vulnerable, the sick, the, 
people who, who don't have their life together, as none of us really do, it's going to get messy. You're going to bleed sometimes because sometimes people can be real jerks. You're going to mess up sometimes because sometimes you can be a real jerk. But to be called into the arena, to know what you're going into it for, like those are the answers I think everyone in this room needs to answer, needs to come to. Some of you in this room are being called into the arena. You've been in the stands for far too long. Some of you have been in the arena so long that you've forgotten like, how important the inner life, how important the relationship that you have with Jesus is, and you need just to spend some time training. Some of you are wondering, what game, what race do I even want to join? Which direction am I going? And so we're going to spend some time worshiping now. And I hope that this is a time where you come to some clarity. That you give God some space to uh, speak to you. And uh, if you have your Connect cards in the bulletins on the back page, you have Connect cards. And now is a great time to fill it out. But on the back, you'll notice a little place called Takeaway. Uh, what, I'm, what I would ask is in the next few minutes, part of being in the game with Jesus is simply having friendships with people who are unlike you, who come from a different like, spiritual background than you, who say don't go to church. And so what I would like you to do is on that takeaway, just write the names of five people who you would call friends who don't go to church. And then once you have those five names, just pray specifically that God would bless those people, would meet those people, would pour his peace onto those people, whatever, like as specific as you can with them. And if you don't have five friends who are not in the church, that's okay. Like, just spend that time asking God very simply, why is that the case? And how can I, or, or would you, God, provide me with the identity necessary to, to make those friends, with the time necessary to make those friends. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.